0: Um, we're looking uh, at Luke chapter 12. We're going to be looking at the verse 12, first 12 verses. And the text is printed for you um, in the bulletin. This is uh, the word of the Lord. And it's for our good because he loves us. Let's read together. Luke 12. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. The one who denies me, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be for, forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about what you should uh, do. De- uh, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you uh, for your word, and uh, we thank you um, that uh, you speak to us, uh, a command to not fear. And we ask that you would be our teacher about our hearts, that you would uh, uh, reveal to us, show us um, where our hearts are, what we trust in. we pray that um, by your Holy Spirit you would apply this text to each one of our individual lives, each one of our situations, and that you would turn us to you, that we would find joy and hope in knowing that we have a Father in heaven, that we have a Savior um, who has sent his Spirit to dwell in us. So give us faith, increase our faith, build us up now uh, with your word, um, and I pray that you would uh, forgive my sins as I come here and preach your word, Uh, for you know that my sins are many. Um, but I pray that you would uh, open the eyes of the blind, and that you would fill uh, the mouths of the mute with your praise. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so, um, between uh, what well, we're going to study of Luke between Christmas and, and May, roughly, and we're looking at Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, where uh, from his hometown in uh, in Galilee, uh, in his final trip, last few months of his life. As he's training his disciples before he's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to die on the cross, he's going to raise the third day, he's going to spend 40 days uh, proclaiming the kingdom and then he's going to uh, ascend back into heaven and he's going to leave his mission uh, to his disciples. So right now this is his intensive uh, training session as he's walking to Jerusalem with his disciples. So we're really studying uh, uh, discipleship. And um, It's really quite amazing that if you think of the last 2,000 years, how much has Jesus, how much influence has Jesus had in the world over 2,000 years? How many continents has he had influence in? He's he's influenced every continent dramatically. And the way that he did that was uh, he had 12 guys that he was training for really a short amount of time. His ministry was about three years that he was training them. And look at the impact um, that they've had. And uh, one of the things uh, that we see is that Jesus knows about people in general and about his disciples is that possibly the biggest obstacle that they are going to have in uh, being who God's called them to be, doing the things God called them to be, is fear. Um, actually, Shannon was shared with me a couple weeks ago that she was listening to a sermon that said that, uh, that the most repeated command in the whole Bible is do not fear. In fact, writing uh, this text, we see you know fear or anxiety mentioned five times. And uh, I've, I've been reading through Isaiah. And if, you, if you read through uh, you know Isaiah 40 to, to uh, 50, right in there, uh, probably a dozen times, uh, it says, "Fear not, fear not, fear not." And so, um, why is why is fear such a problem? Why is it such an obstacle in the life of a disciple? Um, I would. Several years ago, we went with some friends over to Ellensburg. I had a friend, his, his parents live over there, and we were spend the weekend with his family. And uh, we were, you know, playing on the yard, hitting baseball, stuff like that. And the, yeah, I think it's the Yakima River, comes kind of near Ellensburg. And so we drove out to the Yakima River, and they had this uh, rock that you could jump off, you know, maybe 15-foot rock you could jump off. And there was four of us there, and um, and I, I have this thing. I always want to be able to do backflips off of rocks. I'm not very coordinated with my body, but I really want to be able to do that, and I'm willing to hurt myself to, to try it. <laughs> um, so I said to um, – I said actually, Trevor was there, and um, I said to the other two guys, I said, hey, you guys, I'll do a, try a backflip off this this rock if you guys try one. I'll do one if you do one. It's a 15-foot rock. And we said, Trev, we don't think – <laughs> we, don't, we don't want to go to the emergency room. We don't want any broken necks. Okay. <laughs> so the other two guys, the one guy's like, "Yeah, I'll do it." The other guy's like, "I don't know. This is pretty high. He's looking down at the waves, through the water." And so he says, "Okay, I'll do it." So I go first, and I kind of just huck my body back, and I, I over-rotate pretty far, and land on my side. But you know, it kind of slapped a little bit. I was okay, and uh, I got out of the water, and everything was fine. Oh, okay, and the next guy got Tyson. He's, um, and he's one of those athletic guys. He's never done a backflip in his life, but he's just, you know, Mary Lou Retton, just um, <laughs> on the rock. And, uh, and then, you know, perfect form, like perfect 10, you know, five, and, and uh, so he does this perfect, and so the last guy gets up, and he's like, you guys, I don't know if, if I want to do this. I, I, I don't feel good. And we're like, you have to do it. You, we just did our two, and that was agreement. You have to do it. So uh, he gets up there, and, and, and as he's saying, you know, I don't want to do it, we say, look at him. what's the worst thing that could happen? I mean, look what happened to Nate. He way over-rotated, and he landed on his side. That's the worst thing that could happen, right? He landed on his side. Look, he's fine. He's standing right here. He's like, okay. So, uh, so he gets up there, and as soon as he goes, um, panic strikes him as soon as he leaves the rock. And he's about horizontal, and he turns towards the water, and then just 15 feet <laughs> And we're just like, oh, you know, that, that was that was the worst thing that could happen. Okay, okay, we take it back. <laughs> and he swims over the edge and he gets out and his whole um, his whole side is, is just red? blistered and I don't know what, red you know, blood vessels popping and stuff. I don't know. And uh, in deep pain, we're like, oh, man, maybe you shouldn't have done that. Gosh. <laughs> um, and, you know, what's a, what, what's the problem is, you know, if you've done a backflip, you know, you don't want to panic in the middle of it. You just got to keep going. You got to go all the way. You got to, and what happened with him is fear froze him. And that's what fear does. That's why fear is a big obstacle is that fear puts you in a straitjacket. Fear says to you, uh, it's, it, it, it makes it so that you can't act. It makes it so you can't move. It makes it so you can't, uh, make decisions. It makes it so that you can't, uh, you can't risk in life. And, um, and Jesus knows that if, his, if fear grabs a hold of these 12 disciples who he's going to be sending out to do his mission, they're going to be useless. They're not going to be doing anything. They're not going to be making decisions. They're not going to be taking risks if, if fear is taking hold of them. And, um, and the fact is that if we don't see our fears um, and let Jesus teach us how to deal with our fears, if we don't look at them and address them, then we're going to, as Jesus' disciples, we're going to be useless also. And uh, the key, the real key about fear, is understanding that fear distorts the way that we see the world. Fear distorts the way we see the world. So what I want to do is I want to unpack just three things about what Jesus says about fear and, and his answer to them. The three things are: first, that fear distorts our view of others. Fear distorts our view of other people. Uh, second, fear distorts our view of the future. And last, fear distorts our view of ourselves. And with each of these, what we're going to find is that knowing that uh, Jesus uh, is our Savior, and that we have a Father in Heaven who cares for us, who has given us the Holy Spirit uh, to enable us and power us. So those three things, looking to God, is really uh, the key to understanding fear and dealing with fear in our life. So, first, um, fear distorts our view of others. Um, Now, uh, for some of us, um, the place that fear shows up most in our lives is um, is in our contact or relationships with people. Um, you know, we maybe we're fearful that if we if we have if we enter into relationships with people, we get to know people. If we open ourselves to people, people are going to hurt us. And uh, if we expose ourselves to people, they're going to hurt us. And so that's that's one of our fears. That we don't want to get near people. And uh, or you know, on the other hand, some people are, our fear of people is more that we are chasing after. After, uh, people's approval, you know, that we want so desperately people to like us, and we're so afraid that, pe- you know, we're not going to be cool, we're not going to be liked, we're not going to say the right things, so we're kind of always checking on, oh, did I say that right, was the inflection of my voice uh, the right way, and uh, there's, there's an anxiety and a terror about uh, of, about being around people, what's kind of ironic about it is that um, the fear uh, puts us in a straitjacket so we can't be ourselves, and, uh, and then... We're not ourselves around people, and then we don't build friendships naturally, and we're not we're not drawn drawn to people, and so fear is, is kind of a straight track. And then, and then some people really do have people in their lives who are hurting them. You, know, you got people at work who are constantly on, on your case or ridiculing you, or uh, you have family members or um, or neighbors, whatever it is, who actually really are hurting you. And, you're, and there's fear. And uh, one of the things that happens is that when you become a Christian. This your kind of vulnerability to those those kinds of things about people kind of uh, increases because you think about if, if you say you know I, I don't want to I'm afraid of getting near people because I'm afraid people are going to hurt me. Being a Christian, it's all of a sudden, it's like wow, I got to go to church. You know, I got to get in a home group. I gotta I gotta talk to these people. I have people that are trying to love me and build relationships with me. And all of a sudden, um, I I got to deal with my fear. I can't just I can't stay as a hermit. I can't. Not talk to anyone else. I got to talk to people, and uh, or you think about um, you know people's approval. I mean, you know, in the world, I, I mean, one of the main reasons people like to uh, get drunk is because you lose your social inhibitions. And you just say, finally, I can be funny uh, and be myself when I'm drunk, and I'm the whole this whole new person. So this is whole dependency. And Then you become a Christian. You say, well, I can't get drunk anymore. And I don't. I, I, I don't have that uh, tool for. <laughs> Being myself and feeling free, I got to deal with my fear. And then you add on top of that that uh, that as a Christian, uh, there's a good chance that you're going to be ridiculed. I mean, Jesus says there's a good chance you're going to be ridiculed for being a Christian, and uh, that people are going to think you're weird, or you're going to you're going to have to take, um, you know, you're going to have to confess that you believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus' body rose from the dead, and that He's coming back to judge the earth at the end of the age. You know, it's like. Uh, people don't look that warmly on that kind of thinking about the world. And then you add to that that you might in work have to take some kind of ethical stand against something. You know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to participate in that. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to treat that person some way. And all of a sudden, you're creating drama. You're creating, making things uh, difficult for people. And so all of a sudden, um, you can't run away from the difficulties and the fears of dealing with people as a Christian. You have to face them. And um, and in our culture, um, and actually, uh, what Jesus knows is that if his disciples are going to be able to go out into the world and really love people, you know, really get to know people, open, you know, uh, be a place that's inviting, be hospitable, and really have the boldness to proclaim to people uh, who Jesus is, the truth of the gospel, uh, the need for salvation, that free salvation comes through Christ alone you know, to have the boldness to say that, then Jesus knows his disciples are going to need some deep resources for dealing with their fears. We're going to need deep resources for dealing with our fears. Now, in our culture, um, you know, there's different ways of dealing with fear, you know, the mantras, the you know, look in the mirror. Nate, Nate Walker, people, by golly, people like you. <laughs> people like me. Go face the world, right? That's, uh, that. I I do that every other day. Um, But, um, you know, if you want to hear something fresh, something that, you know, something that's totally on another planet from what people, how people in our culture say to deal with fear, you can listen to Jesus. You're not, what he's going to say, you're not, you're not going to hear on Oprah or Dr. Phil, I assure you. Look, look at, look at verse four. Imagine someone saying this. I tell you my friends, by the way, I love, I love how Jesus talks to his disciples. Don't you love that? I tell you, my friends. How much would you like him to say, I tell you, my friends, do not fear? To hear that from Jesus' own mouth. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you fear him. Um, Essentially, Jesus' answer for the fear of men and fearing people and fearing what people think of you and being ridiculed is uh, to focus our lives on final judgment, where every one of us will stand before the creator of the universe and give an account for every thought, word, and deed that we've ever done, and our lives, the story of our lives will be publicly told before the angels and before um, the stars and the mountains and uh, all creation, um, our story will be told. And he says, "You want to fear something? Uh, fear that day. And uh, if you're going to tremble, if, you're, if your if insides are going to um, you're going to get uneasy about something. Listen, you know the guy at work that you're trying to impress, or that you know he's just some guy. And you're going to have to stand before God and give an account. Uh, and that is going to be the determining factor of your whole life. If something is going to make your guts tremble and your bones shake." That's what should make you shake. You live your life not before some guy's eyes. You live before your life before the eyes of the creator, before the judge. And uh, now how does that work? Um, how does it work that fearing that helps you not fear people? Well, um, like I said, uh, fear distorts our view of other people. Fear, fear distorts our view of other people. And, and mainly what it does is it makes people look giant and makes God look very small. God looks small and you know irrelevant, insignificant. So you know you take the example of of uh, seeking people's approval and wanting you know wanting them to like us and and you know their opinion of us becomes so so huge. And um, you know we want people to think we're cool. Um, and we we often. Um, don't even want to admit that we're Christians. Um, we don't... We're scared to share our faith and to say, hey, you know, what What do you think about God? Who do you think God is? You know, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I believe everyone needs to repent and, and find faith in Him. And uh, and when we're uh, afraid of those things, our view of people is enormous. But, um, but God's uh, opinion of us becomes irrelevant and small. And... Um, and in fact, that we almost don't even think about final judgment. We don't even think about the day that that's what we're moving towards. we almost think it, does, it might not even happen. I mean, our culture thinks it's not going to happen. We might not even think it happened. And so the, the the people around us they become kind of like you know you know when Oz Wizard of Oz you know when they're they're talking about the wizard and he's this great big huge wise guy and he knows everything and they come in uh, the end you know, you know at the end of the movie they come and there's a big screen and, they, and the, the the loud voice. And everything, and, and you think the guy is so big and powerful, and then you look behind the curtain and you say, it's just some guy, it's some little guy sitting back there. <laughs> and that's really what we do, is we make people into awe. We make them huge in our sight. And they're just someone, and the fact is, they're just someone that's going to have to stand before God also. And so the big way to deal with fear is to see ourselves living before the one judge, not the judges who are around us, not the judges at work, not the judges in our family, not the j- judges who are friends. The one judge that we live before him, and uh, now um, someone might say, uh, "Okay, I get that. If you're scared of God, you know, maybe you'll be less scared of people. Um, uh, in comparison, that's a, that's a lot scarier." But let me ask you: Isn't isn't being scared of God a straitjacket too? You're saying being scared of people. I you know I know I've met people who are spending their life fearful that they're going to go to hell. They're being meticulous about everything that they're doing, and they're up and down, one minute I'm okay with God, the next minute God's mad at me, and I'm in terror, and, and isn't that just as much as a straitjacket? Isn't that just limiting their life just as much as, uh, as fear, if not more, more than fear of people? Like, I'll take the fear of people over bouncing back and forth whether I'm going to go to hell or not, right? Well, um, I, it's, it's almost as if Jesus knew your heart was saying he knew you were asking that question. And, uh, and this, is what he, uh, this is what he says. Um, it's almost, as soon as he says, you should only tremble before God who can throw you into hell. He's, he hasn't even finished his sentence and he says in verse six, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. This is a great picture Jesus gives. On the one hand, you should be trembling because you're going to stand before the Creator, and yet you should fear not. Because He loves you. I mean, He loves, you know, He loves the little birdies. God loves the little birdies, and He knows what's going on. He remembers the little birdies, and you're worth way more than the little birdies, and He remembers you. And you might say, okay, well, that's fine. God's loving, but what does that say about um, about me in hell and in judgment, and uh, where am I going when I die? Well, listen to what Jesus says again, verse 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge uh, before the angels of God. But the one who denies me, uh, but the one who didn't, oh, I, I got this written right here wrong. Uh, But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And so what Jesus is doing is he's painting this picture for us um, of the, this final scene, the kind of culmination of our life, where um, there's this huge audience of angels. And actually, it's probably not just angels. It's going to be the creation as well. You know, uh, Romans talks about that all creation is eagerly awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. And so there's this, this public scene where the whales and the stars and the mountains and, uh, and the angels are just silent, and there you are, and God is telling your story—the story of your life—publicly, and everyone is kind of on the edge of their seat, eager to know who are you, what are you worth. And what's amazing about uh, um, what Jesus says here is, uh, even as it runs through every sin you've ever done, every shameful thing you've ever done, is that as that is being publicly announced, um, Jesus says, "If you just acknowledge." me, then I will acknowledge you in that day. And at the end of that story, as, uh, as everyone is listening, he will, he will say in, in the hushed voice of the universe, the, before the hushed voice, uh, sound of the universe, this one is mine. And every single sin that's been done, paid for. Then people are like, oh, you did what? Paid for, paid for, paid for, paid for, paid for. And you think about, as your life story is being told, and every single sin, piling, 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 and it, one after another, paid for by Jesus. Paid for by Jesus. It is forgiven. It is forgiven. And Jesus says, what do you need for that? Acknowledge me. <laughs> that's it. Believe. Trust in me. And what's amazing, you know, some people say, oh, just believe in Jesus? That's that's what the final judgments can be is just do you believe in Jesus? I mean, come on. Isn't that just so arbitrary, just believing in this guy? Uh, you know, what about being a good person and stuff like that? But let me ask you, what do you want on that day? What do you want to be required of you? You want, uh, you want how well did you love your family? How well did you speak to your kids? Did you get angry at your kids? Uh, did you care for the poor? Did you, uh, give, Is that what you want to be uh, the requirement? If that's a requirement... That's when you're walking around your whole life bouncing up and down and saying, oh, maybe I'm good with God, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not good with God. But when Jesus says, you just acknowledge me, and I will acknowledge you. And so what we can do, what that frees us to do, is that we look forward to a day when we will be acknowledged, we'll be approved of, we'll be accepted by God. And it's just, do you believe? Do you trust in Christ? And then he will accept you. And let me just tell you that for those of you who say, you know, I'm like hungry for people to approve of me. I'm hungry for people to say, you're okay, I, I like you. Let me just tell you that the, a lot of those things, that is just a taste and an imitation of what your heart is really longing for is for your creator, your father to say, you are mine. And he will say that to you one day. And so um, our, our life, you want to overcome fear, fix your eyes on that day. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. And that's, that's Jesus' um, first tool, deep resources for dealing with our fear, for his disciples dealing with our fear, is looking forward uh, to the final judgment. So first, fear distorts our view of, of other people because it makes people big and God small, but we need to, in our hearts, blow God up and see how that he's really the big one. The people we're trying to get uh, their approval and that we're fearing, they're just some guy, okay, <laughs> right? Some guy. You can use that language in your head, you know, just some guy. Just some guy. That's helpful, Okay. <laughs> Second, uh, fear distorts our view of the future. Um, one of the fundamental qualities of uh, of fear is that fear is future-oriented. Fear is about what's right, what's going to happen in the future. Uh, it's not so much about things that have happened or are happening right now. It's like what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I'm afraid, you know, uh, I'll lose my job, and, or I'm gonna i not going to be able to make my payments or uh, whatever. Um, fear is looking to, to what's going to happen in the, fu- uh, in the future. And one of the biggest ways that fear works as a straitjacket is that fear uh, tells you what is, claims to tell you what's going to happen in the future, right? That girl won't like you. Don't go ask her out. I'm telling you what's going to happen in the future. Uh, the girl doesn't like you. You're not going to get that job. They won't hire you. Um, uh, You know, it's not. You want to. You want to take a risk in life. You want to build a relationship, but it's not going. It's not going to come together. Um, What future? What fear does is it claims to be omniscient. It it claims to have knowledge that only God knows. You don't know the future. You don't know what's going to happen. And so, what you do, and what we also do, what fear, what also creates fear, is that we have our pictures of, um, of our kind of agenda for our life that we have in the future. So you say. You know, I kind of have a picture of what the good life is and the the life that I want with the family and the the money and the job, and this is how I want things to go. And so you take these two things and you put them together that I have my agenda of what the good life is, which may be very different than the life that God wants to tell through my life. And then you add with that that I know the future, and I know that the future is not going to be this – and so, uh, and what we do is, is we, we don't make any decisions, we don't move forward, uh, um, because we know that the good life we want, we're not going to get. In the, in the future is only discouragement, it's only failure, it's only disappointment. And, and so often what we do is, that, that's part of the reason we don't make a decision. You know, when you don't make a decision about your life, it's is kind of a way of trying it, it, it kind of gives you the illusion That you're not going into the future It's like if I just don't make a decision Then maybe time's not moving And I don't have to go into the future yet But it really is, right? It really is moving forward And so um, fear comes When I combine those two things Now many Christians When they're faced with this dilemma uh, The way that they try to resolve it Is they say I, I want to find out what God's will for my life and so they, you know, we'll pray and we'll get, you know, we'll maybe go on a mountain and we'll get our hearts into a certain meditative stance. And where we're talking about this thing, this, it's usually one of these things, our agenda for our life. And does God want me to do this? Until we get to some feeling that says, God told me this is what he wants to do. And, you know, it sounds, and, and it's, you know, I'll be honest, it sounds very pious. You know, I I prayed a lot about this. I know what God God wants me to do this. And the fact is that it's really another way of saying that I want to know the future. I want to be omniscient. I want to be God. I want to know the things that God knows. And uh, and what we do is when when we say God said this is his will for my life, we think we're doing this. And we're saying what's going to happen and what I want are the same. And by the way, you've got to be careful talking like that saying, God told me to do this, because you can actually manipulate people as well, by saying, this is what God told me to do, oh, is it, you know, the Bible uh, doesn't say you should do that, by the way, uh, God told me, or, or saying, you know, no one in your life thinks you should do that, God told me this, and because what's happening is, when we, when we have that kind of stance of saying, God's will for my life is to do this, um, essentially what we're saying is, I want to be in control. I want to have control over the future, and I want to know what's happening, right? And uh, and by the way, uh, and this this may I don't know how, where this kind of um, uh, you know spiritual experience is in your life, but in many ways, knowing the future and saying this is God's will, this is my fate, is kind of more of a pagan idea than a Christian idea. Um, God's revealed will is here. God cares about you loving people. Um, uh, god cares about you knowing uh, knowing him praying asking him as a father for things for the things that you need trusting him going forward in faith uh gentleness faithfulness peace joy these are the things that are god's revealed god's revealed will uh not necessarily what job you're going to have um is this the girl that i'm supposed to marry uh you know is this god's will for me to marry and um And um, what Jesus says is that the way to deal with our our fear of the future and deal with this problem is to not say, okay, God, tell me what's going to be in the future. That's not the solution. The solution is this. Look at verses 6. I already read these. 6 and 7 again. Um, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Um, Jesus says, God cares for the birdies. He cares for you. And so what you should do is just make your decisions in your life. Uh, you know, read the Bible. Make sure you're not disobeying the Bible. And know that God cares for you as a father. And he's remembering you. And make your requests known to him. And ask him the things that you want. And, and acknowledge them as desires. Not, not, this is my fate. These are things that I want. And so, um, and so how, do you know, how do you make a decision? How do you face fear? I don't know what to do in the future. What should I do? Well, um, you know, first you, you look at the Bible, but then you say, what do you want to do? Do you want to do that job? Do you like this person? Is she, a, is she a Christian and she loves God? Okay, then she's someone you can marry. Do you like her? Then marry her. And uh, it's not, there's not fate uh, that's uh, – and you know what? It's not going to be perfect. You're going to find out you thought she was perfect. It's not. You're married, and you're not perfect either. And actually, the whole point is that you find someone who's not the perfect person, and you become the perfect people as God works in your marriage. That's more what God wants to do. That's what his revealed will is. And, uh, and then, you you know, in making decisions, do you have the opportunity? Does, does she want to go out with you? If she doesn't want to go out with you, then uh, you keep asking her. That's fine. But, you know, or you say, uh, I want to go to school. I want to um, I. I, I I want to do this kind of career. If you don't have – you may not have the opportunity to do that. You might have to wait for the opportunity. You may have to ask God for the opportunity and say, God, this is what I want. Will you give this to me? I'm not trying to control the future, but I'm just going to ask you. And then you also – you ask the people here, the people in your church, the, the spiritual community around you, and say, what are those people saying? You know, yeah, I think, uh, I think you'd be uh, – you should go into that ministry. You know, I, I – um, When I decided to become a church planter, um, you know, church planters have different stories about, you know, God told me I need to plant a church in this town. And and that's not, it's kind of like that for me. I have some things that happened that God was certainly orchestrating and and leading me to being a pastor. But it was mostly, I really, I wanted to plant a church. I heard about it. I wanted to teach the Bible. I love teaching the Bible. I had people in my life saying, yeah, you should do that. You'd be good at that. And it was a time of life. I was already in school. I could transition, go to another school. And, and I had a church that was uh, helping financially. And so the pieces kind of came together. And you make a decision. You say, I should go do it. And I never, you never hear from God, this is what you should do. And uh, and what God wants you to do is to make your request known to him as a father. And just trust him and make a decision. And, you know, um, I'll tell you, my my dad, one of the helpful, his little... He's here. Uh, One of the uh, really helpful things he always told me growing up is you make a decision and you live with the consequences. Just make a decision. Do something. Just do something. That's actually a much more biblical picture. And just trust God. And he's going to take care of you. And love his kingdom and be working for his kingdom. And what what do you want to do? Where is God putting burdens and desires in your hearts? Follow those things. And so fear distorts our view of the future. Fear says, I can know the future, I know what's going to happen, and I want to control it. Uh, That's not what God's calling to you. God's calling you to make decisions and trust Him. Lastly, fear distorts our view of ourselves. This is related. Um, uh, Possibly, um, uh, the biggest way that fear acts as a straitjacket in our life um, is by shrinking our view of ourselves. And making us really small, and uh, and and shrinking uh, our understanding of actually what we're capable of and what we can do, and uh, and actually in this passage, you know, when Jesus is talking about fear, he you know, I'm talking about you know relationships and uh, jobs and things like that, and those are all places, families. That's where we have, where we uh, encounter fears in all those kind of settings. But uh, and the main thing that he's talking about is being his disciple and doing his mission in the world. That's the main setting where he's talking about uh, where fear is going to come up, is that we have a calling, you have, have a calling as a Christian, uh, to tell people about Jesus, to be a light in the world, um, to, to care for the, the poor and the marginalized, um, to, to use your resources generously um, for what God is doing and trusting him with those things. That, that God has called you to do that. And Jesus is addressing the fear that is going to come up when you uh, enter into that mission. And, um, and probably uh, the big, one of the main reasons that we don't join in what God is doing in the world and really use our time, use our resources, use our life uh, towards God's work is because we think that we have nothing to offer. We often think, you know, if I tell someone about Jesus, it's not going to work. They're not going to believe me. Uh, um, if, if I'm going to love people, it's not really going to have a, an impact. It's not going to be powerful. You know, I'm not as—I uh, don't know much as much about the Bible as that guy. Um, I, I'm not as gifted. I don't—you um, know—I'm not uh, whatever. You know, the list of things of things that I can't do. And um, what fear does is it shrinks our view of ourselves. And um, and what but what we see in the gospel. Is uh, that Jesus is training a group of disciples uh, who are going to these are these are fishermen, uneducated fishermen who are going to go out into the world and they're going to tell the Roman Empire that Caesar, you know, this is the biggest empire, world power in the world. Caesar is not the Lord. Jesus Christ is the Lord, the guy who was crucified. And uh, and if you believe in him, you will have a new life. And twelve guys, uneducated fishermen. And uh, if anyone is incapable of that kind of mission, it's these guys. And yet what they did over the course of 300 years took over the Roman Empire and the whole empire. Uh, you know, 300 years later, in the cities, 50% of the people in the cities were Christians. And they said, you know, I think you're right. I think Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. And, uh, and they devoted themselves to him. And uh, what we need to see... Um, and he knows that um, what he's going to ask of us, what Jesus is going to ask of us, what he asks of his disciples, goes way beyond what our capabilities are and what the things that we think we are able to do. And you look at these words. These are great, um, famous words from uh, uh, verses 11 and 12. And when, he's talking to his disciples. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious. About how you will, uh, how you should defend yourself, or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. That's a promise. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is is using you, and that when you're in relationships and people are going to open their lives to you, and they're going to say, "This is how, this is hurt, this is sin, this is brokenness, this is happening in my life," you say, "Wow, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to deal with that." You have the Spirit. Or if, someone, if you're going to ask someone, you know, what do you think about God? What do you think about Jesus? And have a conversation and you think, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to know what to say. Uh, you know what? Jesus says the Holy Spirit will give you words. And you trust him. You be gentle. You love people. You trust him. You tell him your own story from your own experience. And, uh, and what fear does is it says you can't do anything. You're, you're, you're useless. Uh, you don't have the capabilities to, to do something meaningful for God's kingdom. And what Jesus says is, uh, you have the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is working in your brain, in your tongue, in your hands, in your uh, in your heart, in your chest, in your emotions. The Holy Spirit is working in all that, and to love people, and uh, and so Jesus gives us a command. It is a commandment to not fear. It is not just that you know. Don't you don't need to fear? Don't worry about it. He says, "Don't do it. Don't fear. Do not make the decisions in your life based on fear. Do not enter and you know make your decisions about relationships based on fear. Um, but make make them on the fact that you have a Father in heaven who values you and who loves you. You have a a, a Savior who at the end, at the end at the very end of the judgment day is going to say, "You are mine." In front of all in front of all the angels. And that he's given you his spirit. His spirit is alive in you. And he promises to be at work in you. So fear not. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for the good news. That uh, you call us. You command us to not fear. Uh, Reveal to us where the fear is in our lives. Give us repentance. And uh, and just fill us. uh, Fix our minds on judgment day. That we live our lives before you alone. And Father, we do here as we worship you, uh, Jesus. We do acknowledge you. We acknowledge you before men, and we pray that you would give us courage, as there will be other places where we will require more courage to acknowledge you. And uh, we pray that we uh, we could do so. Um, We thank you for your Spirit. I pray that your Spirit would come upon this congregation, and that we would love each other. We would love this community. We would love this city, and that you would uh, give us uh, make us capable of doing uh, many things that are far beyond what we could ever ask or think. And we ask this in Christ's name.